Thank you, Dan. And uh, let me add my welcome to Dan's. If you're our guest this morning, and welcome to Centennial Church. My name is Ross. We are glad that you're here. And along with welcoming you, let me ask you to join me. I think they're already back in the lobby uh, getting coffee. But can we express our appreciation and our love for Rick Strayster and his family uh, for serving us these past year? Thank you. There they are. Thank you, guys. Um, and uh, what a joy, too, to see Luke up here on your last Sunday. Uh, I'm only slightly upset that Hannah and Kayla were not up here, too. That really would have been the exclamation. But thank you, guys, and God bless you uh, as you transition to Louisville. Um, go ahead and open your Bibles, if you will, to John chapter 12, and I have asked Janie Daly, who is one of our Bible study leaders for our ladies, to read the passage for us today and then pray for our time in God's Word. So um, let's do this too. Would you stand uh, with Janie and with me as we hear God's Word, and, uh, and then she'll pray for us. Janie? I think it's on, and you just have to talk, I hope. Okay, thank you. Uh, John 12, 1 through 11. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Before you this morning with adoration and in complete surrender lord to you we know that you have given us your word and we confess that often we depart from it and even from the study of it lord we are thankful that you've provided for us in so many ways and most of all in the guidance that you provide for us through your word we ask this morning that you would be with ross as he brings the words that you would have him to deliver for us that will return us 
to you and to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Janie. You can be seated. So we return this morning to this series that we've been doing in the summertime called Encountering Jesus. Last week we took a quick break from it on a holiday weekend, but we're back in it this week and we have a few more weeks of this series before we start the fall. Um, But it's called Encountering Jesus and really it's not just uh, a sermon series, but we really ought to think about it as just the essence of life and following Christ, encountering Jesus, experiencing him, loving him. Now, you might just be saying, well, you're a preacher, so that's what you're supposed to say, right? You know, every sermon series is the latest and greatest, and this is the most important thing, right? But no, I really, this really is the essence of it, I believe. And even as a mission statement of our church, we say that we exist to center lives on Jesus Christ so that people would encounter authentically Jesus, center everything about their lives on them, and, then, and share that, Jesus, uh, in their relationships, in their world, right? So it's, it's really the essence of what this whole thing is about. Christianity is not following rules. It's not just some ancient tradition. It's not just an ethical or moral code. It's not a philosophy of life. It is an experience. It is a relationship. It is a following of this person, Jesus, who is God in the flesh that has come down to us. And we're traveling through John's gospel here as we see particularly one-on-one encounters. Today, it's, it's a couple people, but primarily Mary's experience as she encounters Jesus responds to Jesus. So I hope, I probably haven't said this clearly enough, but I hope that you won't just see this as a sermon series, but you already see this as the crux of the matter. So at one point, you'll remember, some religious leaders, teachers came up to Jesus and they asked him this question, what is the greatest commandment, right? You read about this in Matthew chapter 22, I also think Mark chapter 12 it is. Um, what, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And what did Jesus, how did Jesus reply? (laughs) No. How did Jesus reply? You all know this. Come on. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I mean, encountering Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your whole, with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The greatest commandment is to love God. Okay, now my second question that I was going to ask you is, how much should we love this God? Heart, soul, mind, strength, right? And Deanna, I don't know why you're backing out after you get the, the, hit the answer on the head. Stay with us. No, just kidding. Uh, the greatest commandment is to love God. Jesus is God. The amount that we are supposed to love him is completely, fully. That's the essence of what Jesus is saying. Don't just love me partially, but love me with everything you've got. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. These are just words he's piling up to say everything. There's no part of your life that shouldn't be aligned or centered upon me as you love me. That's the essence of what we're talking about. And it's not just a sermon series, it's life. It's the essence of what we're supposed to be about, loving God, loving Jesus, and not just loving him partially, but loving him completely, utterly, extravagantly, 
And this morning in John chapter 12, we get a picture of that. We get an illustration and an example of that. And as I said, it primarily comes through this woman, Mary. So I want to see here this morning the occasion, their response, and our response. Okay? The occasion, their response, and our response. First of all, the occasion. We see the occasion here in the first verse as well as the last verses, okay? So we'll look at the front, the end, and then we'll come back to the middle. The occasion, in verse 1, we're told the time and the place. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany. Time, six days before Passover. We're in John chapter 12. Guess what? The rest of John's gospel is going to narrate the last week of Jesus' life and then his resurrection. Now, if someone writing a biography about your life, they're probably not going to spend a lot of time on the last week of your life, okay? Unless you're Abraham Lincoln or John F. Kennedy or someone who's the end of their life is tragic. But the gospel writers and John here are saying the last week of his life, this is important. So Jesus is coming to Bethany, this place that was common to him, and this house where his friends were, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, they were brothers and sisters. So he's coming at this time, right before Jesus is going to go to the cross. In John chapter 13, he's going to begin spending some time with his closest friends. But this is when he comes, this is where he comes. And the other thing that's important to note in verse 1 as well as in verse 9 is that the occasion where he comes, it says, it further describes, came to Bethany and then comma, where Lazarus was, comma, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Now that's important for what's going to happen in these next few verses. Whom Jesus has raised from the dead. Now, fast forward to verses 9 through 11 with me. We're going to see that phrase repeated again. Verse 9, when the large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, comma, whom he had raised from the dead. You see that repeated? That's important. That's John saying that's important. That's the rationale for their coming. Now, I have to point out, and I love this, and I love when this happens when I study the Bible, but I have to point out verse 10. It doesn't matter a whole lot for this message, but I can't resist pointing this out to you. Look at verse 10. And tell me if the Bible isn't ironic and somewhat humorous. Look at verse 10. Did you catch this? So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Now just think about that for a second. Hey, we don't like what's going on here, so we're gonna, this guy that's causing trouble, Lazarus, we're going we're gonna to put him to death. Well, that's really ironic and really funny because what's happened in chapter 11? Lazarus' brother has already been dead. And this doesn't give us a whole lot of commentary, but if you're Lazarus and chief priests are threatening your life, and Jesus, whom you're dining with at Mary and Martha's house, has raised you from the dead, are you threatened by these guys that say, hey, we're going to put you to death? <laughs> Whatever. Bring it on. And if Jesus can raise people from the dead, what do I got to fear? What do you have to fear? That's the occasion. So, moving on, we see 
at this occasion, their responses. So we look in verses 2 and 3 for right now. And we see this cast of characters, one who will join us in a minute, but in verse 2 and 3. So they gave a dinner for him, that being Jesus. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary, therefore, and that therefore, you might circle that, okay? Connective. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard. And nard, to me, doesn't sound like something expensive or good, okay? But you can define that. You can instruct me later. But pure nard. And anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with this fragrance of perfume. Now we're told later because of what Judas says that this this is not just a little dab of essential oils that she's putting on Jesus. This is a pound. And that the text and tradition tells us that this would have been worth a year's wages. Now I don't know what your annual income is, but can you imagine taking this expensive thing and breaking it, and parallel passages tell us that she broke this on Jesus' head as well as his feet, and not only did she break it on his feet, but she began to wipe his feet with her hair as she is just extravagantly, lavishly loving, anointing, and worshiping Jesus. It's amazing. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. How do I compare to this? And I think we're meant to see here an escalation an escalation of love. We see Martha served, Lazarus listened, but Mary worshiped. She put it all out there. She brought everything she had. She, she brought the most expensive thing she had. And what seems crazy to us, what seems totally impractical, what seems extravagant, astonishing, she empties upon Jesus in her worship. Now, we've seen Martha and Mary with Jesus in other places. Luke chapter 10, if you want to look at that sometime, but that's that classic story where Jesus is again at their home, and Mary is where? At his feet, right? And where's Martha? Running around. Serving, serving's good, but serving uh, all in a fluster and all guilt-stricken and all judgmental is not right. So Martha is back where she's comfortable, okay, in the kitchen, serving. She's a get-her-done. I mean, she's a deacon kind of person. We love her. She's serving. But in Luke chapter 10, Mary is at his feet, and Jesus says what in Luke chapter 10? Mary has chosen what is better. So we're not to denigrate serving here, okay? But when it comes to loving Jesus, when it comes to really responding to Jesus, there does seem to be this escalation from service 
to listening and sitting at Jesus' feet and then to the ultimate response of Mary worshiping, extravagant, sacrificial, radical, public love, oozing out of, of Mary from her heart. So we're here, and I serve Jesus. I listen to Jesus, love his word. But do I love Jesus? Love him. Radically, extravagantly, publicly, sacrificially. This isn't just a sermon series. And this isn't just one message in the sermon series. This is ultimate. This is essential as in this is the essence Not just do we come to church, not just do we have a place of service within his church, not just do we read his word, but do we fall down in worship, do we sing out in worship, do we give everything to Jesus? Heart, soul, mind, and strength. Or part. A little bit. What we can make time for. What we can give out of the surplus of the monthly income. Do we love Jesus? Do we worship him? And again, service is good, listening is good, but love is ultimate. John Piper, I love the way John Piper says it like this. John Piper says, help me out here, David, because I didn't write it down. (laughs) Thank you. Missions exist because worship doesn't. That's the second sentence. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. I hope we're missional church. Not just that we send John, though we should, but that we're missionaries. But who's a better missionary? Someone who serves in the kitchen or someone who sits at Jesus' feet and someone who sacrifices, someone who worships and knows Jesus. This is the essence. And how do you get there? 
How did Mary get there? How, how do we get there? Because, um, and I'll address this more in a second, but our hearts are cold, divided, sometimes apathetic. But note that chapter 12, as we saw two hints of, chapter 12 follows directly after what? Chapter 11. Love and worship responds to what Jesus has done, responds to who Jesus is. How do you become a lover of Jesus? By sitting at the feet of Jesus, by looking and beholding Jesus, by seeing the love of Jesus. Mary and Lazarus and Martha, they had experienced a resurrection of Lazarus, and what that... that we saw in this series is sign number seven of the seven signs in John. That's the ultimate sign. That's the ultimate miracle. Lazarus being resurrected, brought back to life. And so the ultimate sign in John is followed by the ultimate display of response. The ultimate worship follows the ultimate sign of sacrificial, radical, extravagant love. Chapter 12 follows chapter 11. Mary knew who Jesus was, and she knew he was going to die. She was anointing his body for burial, for death. And how awesome to think that as Jesus was flogged and beaten and hung on the cross, he had sense, he had whiffs of the extravagant love of Mary that he could still smell on his body. And what looked completely impractical and foolish and totally unnecessary and imprudent was exactly the right thing to do. Was absolutely rational when it comes right down to it. The King James Version of Romans chapter 12 verse 1 says, that we offer our bodies to God as a living sacrifice. Why? The KJV says, because it is a reasonable service of worship. And Judas here, the last cast of characters, thought this is totally irrational. This is totally impractical. This, Despite his motives, whatever they were, obviously not good, what he saw is totally ridiculous, ends up being the exact rational, the exact right response, our reasonable service of worship. How do we respond? How do we love Jesus if my heart is divided, if my heart is apathetic, if my heart is cold toward Jesus. I would suggest it's not something that you conjure up inside of you. But it takes, as the scriptures say, beholding Jesus. It takes, if you will, sitting at his feet, continually looking at him, so that you are therefore drawn to him, lingering, pondering, 
considering what he had. That, of course, that means being in the scripture, but it doesn't just mean reading the scripture. It means meditating and lingering there long enough for who Jesus is and the beauty of Jesus to transform you. Any of you remember when you were kids that, that vapor rub that your mom would rub on your chest and get in it feels cool and she'd rub it into your chest and it opens up, right? You can, you can almost sense it right now as I'm describing it, right? It's, a, it's as if we're going to the scripture and we're looking unto Jesus and we're rubbing it into our hearts. We're massaging it into who we are. I heard this week that uh, in thinking about the universe and thinking about um, the sun and the distance from the earth, I heard this week that a piece of paper, if, a, if the thickness of a piece of paper represents the distance from the earth to the sun, which is 93 million miles, some of you already knew that, and some of you can correct me if I got this wrong, okay? Thank you. But if the thickness of a piece of paper represents the distance from earth to the sun, 93 million miles, then a stack of papers 310 miles high would represent the length of the Milky Way galaxy. Just our galaxy alone. 93 million miles, a stack of papers... 310 miles high. Each one, 93 million. The God who made that universe plus is sitting here with Mary and Martha and Lazarus and has has come into that universe, has come into this earth and is inviting you and me to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. The God that created that universe, the God that created you and me, has visited our planet and has spoken to us. And if, if that's the God that sits with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, what is the right response to that God? What is that right response for them? What is that right response for you, for you and me? If that is the king that is, what's the right thing to give that king? Two hours on Sunday, 10%, a morally upright life. If that's who we're talking about, what's the right response? And the right response, like Mary, is everything. But to overflow with that type of worship, to overflow with that type of love, we have to know who it is that we're sitting with who it is that we're reading about, who it is that has come and not given us a year's salary, but spilled his very blood because he loves us so dearly. Do you love him? Do I love him? I didn't say, do we serve him? I didn't say, do we read the scriptures? I said, 
do we love him? Jesus tells two parables. And I love that I can hear that squealing, by the way, too. And I love that my son was in a cape out here dancing as we were worshiping earlier, by the way. I know you do, too. Sometimes that can be a distraction, and sometimes that can be the Spirit of God. Um, But as I was saying, Jesus told two parables in Matthew chapter 13 about the kingdom of God. And uh, let me read those to you there real quick. Verse 44, Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went out and sold all he had and bought it. What's Jesus saying? When you, think, when you find the thing of ultimate value, you hang on to it. You sell everything you have and you, you go and get that thing. And the Puritans of old used to ask one another this. They used to ask one another, have you bought the pearl? Have you found the pearl? Have you bought the pearl? Have you, have you found the thing that, you, that there's nothing greater to love with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Jesus is it. The creator of all the universes come to walk among us and not just give us stuff, but shed his blood, spill his blood so that you and I can be reconciled to the God of the universe. God, Holy Spirit, move in our hearts. Cause us to love Jesus. Give us a yearning, not for other loves, but to love Jesus, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Some of you will know the words of that hymn by Isaac Watts. When I survey the wondrous cross... And, you know, one of the verse, the last verse goes like this. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Pray with me. Oh God, you have loved us. You have loved us extravagantly, radically, publicly, unbelievably, and we have not loved you adequately. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you shake in us? Would you stir us? Would you rub in our hearts the oil of your love? Would you bring us to life? 
Would you save us from a divided heart, from an apathetic heart, from other loves? Oh, thank you, dear God, that you spilled not a jar of perfume, but you spilled your blood so that sinners like us can come freely, recklessly, with abandon to you, God. Uh, We know that. Some of us know that. But awaken us to live in that truth. To love you. To love you as you deserve and only you deserve. It's in your beautiful name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.